Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we have a guest today. His name is Steve Pennington. We've known Steve, I've known Steve for 30 plus years. Long time. Um, I, he still looks the same. I was, I was better looking back then, but he still looks the same. <laughs> um, but, and then, and then, so they, so we had some friends that knew that Steve was coming. So we have another entourage over here from J, from our, our Bible college. They're standing over here. Amen. You can wave at them. We all went to Bible school together. So we're going to have this big shindig after, after service uh, today. We're going to get together and it's going to be fun to reminisce. Steve and Trina have been missionaries in Africa for the last uh, 30 years. And I mean, have an amazing ministry. He's going gonna, gonna to bless you this morning as he brings the word. But, you know, I have, I have the recollection of Steve. I remember Steve was a floor leader in Bible college, uh, like an RA, resident assistant, you know, where you kind of in charge of the floor. And, and he had the unfortunate blessing of having a bunch of Latinos on his floor. <laughs> we have a few here right now. And, and you know how, how we like to do it, right? We like to like celebrate sometimes and play music late at night and that kind of stuff. And so we do that. And so one of my last memories of Steve in Bible college was him walking into one of our rooms where we had the guitar going and the maracas playing and all that. Steve walking in his boxers and saying, hey guys, can you please bring the music down? It's like one o'clock in the morning or something like that, you know? Stop it, you know? And he did that multiple times. But man, Steve, I love you, brother. I am so glad. It's such an honor to have you here with us. Will you come and just bring the word of God this morning? And Life Church, let's, 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 let's welcome Steve. I got to confess, I really did not expect my introduction to include me in my underwear. I think that's like a nightmare for everybody, right? Go to school. Anyway, never mind. It, it is uh, Good morning, Life Church. It is an incredible honor to be with you here this morning and the good folks at Cedar Rapids for joining us and those online. Um, I, I hope you don't mind it, but I'd like to go right to the Bible. I love the Bible. So if you have yours, please turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number two. And while you're doing that, I just want to say once again, as, as Pastor said, that was a beautiful poem. Wasn't that powerful? You could have totally given an altar call right there, called a missions, taken up an offering, and we'd have been done, buddy. That was, that was fab. Mark chapter two, happy Mother's Day to all the ladies in the room that, that are mothers. What an honor Jesus has given you that uh, us men can, cannot even begin to understand. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being good moms. Mark chapter two, if you have your uh, Bible on an electronic device, you're probably already there. Some of you prefer the OGV, like me, the old guy version, so you might still be turning to it. Page 1,137, just to help you out a bit. <laughs> a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Son, your sins are forgiven. I'll, I'll never forget, I, I had been a, a teacher at the Addis Ababa Bible College for many years, and one of my students, uh, Matios Kasai, I called him Matty, asked me to go with him to Shinshicho, uh, Ethiopia, where he pastored the Shinshicho Assembly of God Church. And every day for five days, we had, we had outdoor meetings. And, and so me and a bunch of famous Ethiopian evangelists and famous Ethiopian singers, we piled into our speed light vehicle and drove down to Shinshicho, Ethiopia, not a place you go too often. And, and there on the side of the AG Church, they built a platform, and every night, every day for five days, the cow pasture next door would fill up with about ten to 15,000 people. And, and, and the very first day, I remember, I, I stepped up to the platform, I opened my Bible, and, and I began to read from the Gospels, and all of a sudden, Matthew walks up, he places his hand right on my Bible, and I, I stopped, and I looked at him, I said, Matthew, I said, what, what are you doing? And he said, Brother Steve, you have to stop. I said, why? Did I, did I do something wrong? And he said, no, 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 no. He said, no, but there's a disturbance in the back left side, and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going on. So, so, so I stopped reading the Bible, and, and we kind of stepped back, and Matthew and I kind of walked this way a little bit, and, and then we kind of both walked to the front just a little, and we leaned over, and you could, you could barely see what was going on because of the, the night was kind of falling, and there was kind of a, a haze from everybody jumping up and down and dancing and worshiping Jesus, and, and we both kind of looked, and all of a sudden we saw it, and it was, it was like chaos in the very back, and it looked like some, some guy seriously was like floating on the crowd, moving this way and this way and this way, and it was just a little, a little frightening, and we didn't know what was going on, so being incredible men of faith that we were, me and Matthew, we just kind of stepped back like this a little bit and got a little bit further away from you know, whatever, and we prayed, and, and, and we saw this guy. It looked like he was floating on the crowd upside down, moving this way, then this way, then this way. We couldn't figure out what was happening until the front row intuitively just parted, and, and out came these four guys carrying a rough-hewn wooden bed with, with leather straps, and on top of it was a young man lying. And they pushed their way to the very front. They sat him down right in front of me. The four guys from the four corners all got down on their face, and they began to pray. And, 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 and I, I, I didn't know what was going on, but I, I, I got down on my knees, and I began to pray for the young man. Well, an Ethiopian evangelist from over here came, came and joined me. He got on the other side, and we both began to pray. And immediately, I recognized that this guy was burning up with a fever. He could, he could barely breathe. It was laboring. He was laboring to breathe. He was completely, ah, he was completely unconscious. And we found out later on he'd, he'd been in that condition for three months. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And so after a little bit of time, I just felt like the Lord said, Steve, that's enough. And, and I stopped. And the young man on the other side, he stopped too. And we looked up at each other and he stood up and he walked back this way. And I walked back over to the pulpit. And when I, we stopped, those four guys, they were excited. You know, They heard us stop praying. They assumed something had happened. And they just quickly turned around to see what had happened. And they saw us standing there and there and their friends still lying on the bed. And I will never forget the look of disdain and disappointment in their eyes when they looked at me. They picked their friend back up. Each one grabbed a corner. They brought them to their knees and the waist and then their, their shoulders and they, they, they stepped down off the platform gently and then they shoved and pushed and shoved and pushed and shoved and pushed all the way to the back of that huge crowd. And Matty and I just stood there and watched the whole way as they shoved their way out the back and then down the dirt road of Shinshicho, Ethiopia. When um, all these good looking 
Men and I were in Bible college together, especially that good-looking one there. When we were all in Bible college, he was the smart one in the group. You all knew that anyway. When we were, all, when we were in Bible college together, not only did we sit at his feet often, but, but I, I still remember our, our New Testament professor, professor telling us, when you look at the Gospel of Mark, you have to look through, through a certain prism, and that prism is Mark 10.45, where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, I, I still believe that, that, that Mark 10.45 is a critical verse in the Gospel of Mark, but I don't believe that it is the critical verse in the Gospel of Mark anymore. I, I've come to believe that actually the most critical verse in the Gospel of Mark for understanding the Gospel is in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus is on the, lake of, he's on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a boat. A tempestuous storm drops on them. He's asleep in the stern. You all know the story, right? He's on a pillow. They, then they, they're, they're, the Bible says they were a fear of their life. Jesus stands up, speaks, all of a sudden is completely calm. He turns around. He looks at them. He says, why are you so afraid? They were terrified is what the word says. And then the word says that they looked at each other and they said, who is this? Who is this? That is the most critical question in the gospel of Mark. And it's the question through which we see everything in the gospel. Who is Jesus Christ. Every story in the Gospel of Mark flows in and out of that singular question. Who is Jesus Christ? You cannot understand the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, or Jesus walking on water, or demons being cast out, until you ask that question. Who is Jesus Christ? Because even Mark 10.45 means absolutely nothing until we begin to understand who Jesus is. I had a relative the other day, and he and I were talking, and he mentioned Muhammad and Buddha and Jesus in the same sentence, like there's any similarity between those guys. And I thought to myself, you clearly have never met Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Because if Jesus is just some teacher, if Jesus is just some philanthropist, if Jesus is just some good guy or some philosopher, then his death might be inspiring, but it's not vicarious. In other words, if he's just some other guy, then Jesus has no power to save you. He has no power to change you. Who is Jesus Christ? Every episode, every story, every pericope, every discussion, every meeting leads back to that single paramount question, who is Jesus Christ? And even in the story we're looking at this morning, sometimes we, we get all of the other characters ahead of them and we forget the, the most important person in the room. Who is Jesus Christ? So Mark begins by telling us, that the room where Jesus was teaching was packed. It was, it was filled with people, people pushing into every open space just to see him, just to hear him. And Jesus preached the word to them. That's what Mark says. And then suddenly, without warning, suddenly, without any warning whatsoever, right in the middle of Jesus preaching, pieces of the ceiling just start, just start dropping on him, just start falling all over him. And Mark didn't say that Jesus moved. So we have to assume that Jesus sat there while it was going on. Now, one of the biggest problems we have in 21st century America is sometimes in order to understand the biblical text, what we'll do is we'll put an image in our mind and we transport that back into the first century text. So we'll look at what we've got here and we'll think that that's what happened there. So we look at ourselves, you know, and you're, you're all, most of you are all masked up and you're kind of distant, you know, and you're doing air hugs and kicking each other or whatever else, you know, whatever that, all that stuff is. Or, and, you, and you can't see your faces and you, you smell just a little bit like isopropyl alcohol. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's our reality and your, 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 your whole body is hermetically sealed. And we take that kind of that clean picture and we transport it back, but it wasn't like that at all. 
I mean, they, they were jammed together. And that stuff that was falling made a crazy mess because they didn't make ceilings like, like this back then. They would long poles and they would lash them together and then they would put fronds. And then on top of that, they would, they would mix a mixture with mud. And if they had money, they would use cow poop because cow poop, man, it hardens like a stinking rock. They still use it in our part of the world. And they'd mix that all together and then they'd put it up there. So when you dig through it, it creates a crazy mess. And there sits Jesus. First, there was the noise of scratching and then banging and then pounding and then breaking. And it was interrupting Jesus' teaching. And then, and then all of a sudden, there's this little shaft of light just above Jesus. And everybody looks up and there's like an eyeball on the other side of the hole. You know what I'm talking about? And then the eyeball disappears and a finger comes through and then two fingers and then four fingers and then a hand and then another hand and then four hands and then six hands and then eight hands. And they're all ripping and tearing at that ceiling and stuff is just falling. And they didn't just, they didn't drop the guy in horizontally. That would have taken too long. So they probably did it vertically. And so he was lashed to this thing and he was holding on for dear life because if he falls off it's a lot worse than when, from where they started so he's holding on for dear life and the whole time this is happening Jesus is just sitting there and it's going on right above him so we know that Jesus was covered in stuff are y'all with me it created a crazy mess and what do you think Jesus expression was I mean do you think he was ticked off what are those guys thinking I'm the teacher do you think he was angry? I don't, I don't picture Jesus like that. I kind of think he sat there quietly and just kind of smirked. And then he kind of smiled. A big smile erupted across his face. And he's kind of waiting just to see what's, what's their victory going to look like. I mean, what are these guys trying to achieve by that? And then he looks over at his buddies and he gives them, you know, the dude nod. You know, and they all give him back the dude nod because they're all just kind of waiting. What's, what's going to happen? What about the guy? What about the guy on the mat? I mean, the Bible says he was paralyzed. I mean, his two legs weren't working, but he wasn't vegetated. So he had his arms. He had his mental capacity, most likely. So he was, he was in on this. He wasn't just laying. He was in on this. So he was, he was, when he was dropped through that thing, I mean, he was trusting his entire life in those guys' hands, and he was hanging on for dear life, and he's, he's moving this way and moving that way, and he's balancing, and they're yelling back and forth at each other, and they're navigating, and they're screaming, and the chaos, and then all of a sudden, he's eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I don't know, did he, did he smile sheepishly? Did he, did he, did he just kind of gulp, you know? And did Jesus just smile back at him? And are there people waiting to hear what's going on? But have you ever noticed, Mark never tells us his name. We don't know his name. Now, that, now that's critical because in our part of the world, a name describes you. A name speaks into you. A name challenges you. A name can discourage you. Your name can shape you. It can call you to weakness or your name can call you to greatness. Your name can define you. But we don't know his name. All we know is at this point, this man was defined by his mat. And what about his friends? Do you have friends like that? Friends that will do anything for you? Friends that will take a bullet for you? <laughs> I do. And notice that Mark says Jesus saw their faith. What does faith look like? It, it, faith looks like four sweaty, willing to do anything for you, friends, willing to move anything, willing to dig through any barrier to get you an audience with the one person on earth that can heal you. Faith must be seen. If you have faith, you have to do something with it. Faith is active. It moves. It's an action. It's, it's active. It's not passive. Faith does something what is your faith doing? 
You could feel the anticipation that day, the clamor and then the shock and then the deafening silence, everybody waiting to see what would happen. All eyes were locked on Jesus and the man on the mat and all of a sudden Jesus leans in and he speaks and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And all, all the really spiritual people were like, yeah, buddy, come on. Yeah, your sins are, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to stay on the carpet. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. You go, man. But the rest of humanity, you know, the, we're like, what sins? For, what's he talking about? Sins forgiven. I mean, Jesus, come on. You're the son of God. Did you not see the mat? I mean, did he miss all the, the cow poop or whatever it was falling? I mean, how does he's got it in his head? How can he not know? I mean, he's saying, son, your sins are forgiven. What are you thinking, Jesus? But remember, the paramount question of the Gospel of Mark, who is Jesus Christ, because in that pronouncement, Jesus captures the mind-bogglingly, destructive, diminishing nature of sin. Jesus sees that moment to clarify that sin diminishes, sin torments, sin destroys, sin kills, and there is no way of escaping sin and its consequences, no matter your language, no matter your color, no matter your culture, apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to escape the power and the destruction of sin. Your sickness will not keep you from God, but your sin will. The real human issue is sin. It's sin that separates us from the one who loves us and made us with a purpose. And it's sin that separates you from me and me from you and us from each other. It's sin that does that. Sin is the real human issue. And so Jesus leans in real close and he says these words, son, your sins are forgiven. And that very first word is a heavy word. It's just three letters in English. So we often just kind of read right through it. But just pause for a second and say the word son. Say it out. Son. Our son Micah, we have three kids. Josiah, Priscilla, and Micah. Our son Micah. Micah, in 2020, when he was a student in Bible college, I'm sorry, in 2018, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it's kind of a late diagnosis. We almost lost him twice on the field, almost lost him that day too. And then about, about a year later, all of a sudden, he dropped 60 pounds. We didn't know what was going on. Doctors couldn't figure it out. And then they diagnosed him with Addison's, which means his adrenal gland shut off. His thyroid also quit working right. He had hypothyroidism. And the three of those together are a wicked, um, virulent disease. He, um, he was studying to be a youth pastor and then a missionary to Latin America, little kid that grew up in Africa, born in Africa. Um, we, we refer, we often, he often referred to himself as our African-American child. He, <laughs> it'll hit you later. And um, Micah, he was the kind of kid, if you're on the outside, he brought you in. And uh, so he learned Spanish in Africa while, while living in a Swahili and an Amharic world <laughs> because he loved Peru, wanted to take the gospel there. He went to bed on January the 10th and never woke up. It was the worst day of our lives. And um, I have no idea how people survive that without Jesus. I have no idea how people survive that without friends. How do you, how do you survive something like that? But I can tell you this, you don't get over it, but you do get through it. And it changes the way you see 
everything. And now when I read that three-letter word in English, son, it means something. <laughs> it has weight. It has, it has depth. It has, it has dimension. It has, it has gravity. It has emotion. And so when Jesus was speaking to that guy, it's, it's like he's saying you're included. It's intimacy. It's identity. It's definition. He says, it's like your new name. And Jesus is communicating to that guy, you are more than this mat. You are more than this sickness. You are more than the sin that's held you captive. You belong to me. You are my son. And in that moment when Jesus spoke this shame and separation of paralysis, in one moment with one word from Jesus was gone. Now, at this point in the story, Mark introduces us to some other people that were in the room, the teachers of the law. These guys were serious about the law. They, they lived to apply the law to every aspect of the minutia of the people of Israel. And they were there to see if Jesus was following the law. They were constantly questioning him on his authority, on his power. And they were there to check on him. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they thought to themselves, who is this? What is he saying? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. And actually, oddly, they're, they're, they're partially correct. Only God can forgive sins. And the remarkable thing is, as Mark tells us, they didn't actually say it. They, they thought it. One scholar says it's a, it's a remarkable, beautiful touch of irony that they're thinking this guy's pretending to be God, and Jesus does something to demonstrate that he is God because he knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Neither one of them. They're both human impossibilities. And then Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's talking to them. And then, they, because they knew, they knew that the authority to forgive sin is a definitive characteristic of Jehovah, of God in the Old Testament. Only God can forgive sin. So in other words, if Jesus truly has the authority to forgive sin, then Jesus Christ is. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And then Jesus turns back to the man on the mat. And he says, I tell you, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And it was the most critical moment in that man's life because how he responded to that question determined everything. And it's not just the most critical question for him. It's the most critical question for us. It's the most critical question in history. Who is Jesus Christ? And how will you respond to it? He didn't leave him just to think about it. He made him respond to it. And he does the same to us. Whether you're here or in Cedar Rapids or online. Who is Jesus Christ? And how will you respond to that? And that response shapes your past. It shapes your present. It shapes your future. It shapes everything. And that man responded. And the word says he got up immediately. He jumped to his feet. He picked up his mat and he walked out. And had Mark adds in full view of all of them. And the room erupted in praise and worship of Jesus. The God who heals. The God who forgives. Who is Jesus Christ? And how will you respond to that question? Now some of you right now are experiencing cognitive dissonance. Because you're thinking, this is Mother's Day. This guy's supposed to be a missionary, but what in the ding-dong does this have to do with missions? I'm sorry about that. I haven't, I haven't heard anything about missions. What does this have to do with missions? I don't see missions in there 
anywhere. I mean, if you'd seen my wife in the first service, she's coming back for the third service, but I mean, she had that just wicked, awesome Ghanaian looking outfit and she's gorgeous and anyway, we, we won't go there, but we've already, anyway, we've already, and you're thinking, what does this have to do with mission? I mean, he's just everything. This has everything to do with missions. We do what we do because of who he is. Missions is not the, the response of the church to human need. Missions is not the re compassionate response to man's sin or mankind's sin. It's not even social love or compassionate response. Missions is the response of the church of Jesus Christ to who he is because of who he is. We live with this thing in us, this drive that wants us to plant the church among all people everywhere so that on our continent, there's a powerful assembly of God church within walking distance of every person on the continent. Did you know, did you know that this morning in sub-Saharan Africa, 83,000 local assembly of God churches are worshiping Jesus? Did you know that? Did you know that? And did you know that this, that this week, 23,000 men and women will file into 382 Bible colleges that the Assemblies of God, that's you, that's us, that they run on the continent to train pastors and leaders and church planters and evangelists and missionaries. Did you know that? That's what you're a part of. When you pray, when you give, when you stand and when you go, you're a part of that. And yet, there's still 867 unreached people groups on our continent. There's still 199,484,190 people with no access to the gospel. And you might ask, well, see, why, do you, why are you so specific with that number? Because the first time I heard it, it slammed indelibly into my mind. Nearly 200 million people with no access to the gospel. There's not a missionary to them, not a church to them. There's not a gospel in their language. There's no, there's no pastor 199,484,190. And my question is how do we get them to him? We're a little bit like this, this situation here, aren't we? It's like the church is the four friends. We're kind of like them. We each take a corner. We do our part. We cover whatever distance. We push through every obstacle. We dig through seemingly impossible barriers to get our friends into the presence of Jesus. Because it's only Jesus who can heal and save and deliver. Unrelenting, bold, intrusive, unstoppable, indestructible. That's the church of Jesus Christ. It was the last night of the meetings in Shinchicho. I, uh, I stepped up to the pulpit, and as I did, I began to read from the Gospels. Matty came right up beside me. Matty is about this tall. Smile. He's got two million teeth in his face. He just smiles. Lights up the room. And he never stops. He smiles all the time. I think he sleeps with a smile. I mean, all the time. And, and um, I looked over at him, and the hardest working human being I've ever met in my life. And, and, and I, his hand was right there, and I said, Matty, I said, what, what are you doing? And he said... He, and he's smiling, you know. He said, he said, Brother Steve, there's a disturbance in the back left side of the crowd. And I said, dude, what is wrong with the people in the back left side of it? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe demons. I don't know. He just smiled. And so we, we, we kind of walked to the front. We waited to see what would happen. And surely enough, there was, there was disruption. 
It was chaotic, and it was moving like in concentric circles this time. It wasn't moving this way and this way. It's coming straight at us. But everywhere it moved, it would be like concentric circles of, of response. And at first, we thought it was like, you know, like yelling and screaming. We couldn't figure out what it was, so we kind of backed up again, and we're watching. But then both of us recognized it wasn't. It wasn't disruption. It wasn't anger. It was worship. And so we walked back up, and we looked again, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And all of a sudden... That front row intuitively split apart. A young man came walking out. I, I didn't know who it was. And he looked up at me and he raised his hands. He said, Estefanos, Jesus Gaetano, Steve, Jesus is Lord. And I said, Gaetano, he's Lord. I'm thinking, who is that guy? He walks right to the front. But then one man came behind him. Another man came behind him. A third man came behind him. And a fourth man came behind him. And when I saw the fourth man, I knew who the first man was. And that fourth man, when he saw me, he raised his hands. He said, Estefanos, Jesus Christus, Gaetano. Steve, Jesus Christ, his Lord. And when the crowd saw the four men and they realized who that first man was, everybody in that field, 15,000 Ethiopians, jumped to their feet and they began singing and shouting and praising Jesus. Who? is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? And how will you respond to that question? You have to respond. Would you do a favor for me? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And even Eden Cedar Rapids and those watching online, would you, would you mind just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'm not doing this because of, because of tradition. I'm doing it because I want you to focus just for a minute just for a minute. I want you to ask that question. Who is Jesus Christ? And, and, and I know in this room, I'm in a room filled with highly literate people, so you're seeing the words. You're not just thinking, and you're seeing them. And some of you are actually seeing them in multiple languages. Who is Jesus Christ? But there are some of you right now, and you're going right through the words because... You're seeing your, your dad or your mom or your grandma or your grandpa. And you're seeing violence and anger and pain and drunkenness, shame. And you're remembering the fear that you experienced perhaps as a child as you listen to that in your home night after night. And you can feel that. But now all of a sudden you also feel the moment Jesus stepped into your home and you see your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa completely transformed and the meanest people on planet earth became the most godly, kindest, lovingest people you'd ever meet. And you're saying, Steve, who is Jesus Christ? He's the one that did that in my family. He's the one who changed me. He's the one who shaped me. He's the one who gave me hope and a future. For some of you this morning, all you get are the words and nothing more because you haven't met him yet. And Jesus is at your door knocking. The gospel is good news because it's not about you finding him. The gospel is good news is because he found you. Jesus has never been lost. 
And this morning, he's knocking on your door. And all you have to do is respond. Yes. I want to know you, Jesus, like that. I want to believe like that. I want to live like that. Whether you're in this room or you're online. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every person right now that's responding like that. That you would invade their heart and their mind with your peace and your hope. That you'd push away the darkness and you would resurrect them, Jesus, to new life. Let this moment be their moment. In Jesus' name.